everyone, and welcome to the Sex Ed Podcast. This is Kaylee. And this is Jen. Um, today we are talking about kink. So that should be fun. Um, yeah. Our guest today is Emerson. She goes by the Kink Educator on Instagram. So go check her out. And we are super excited to talk to her today um, about kink, what it is, what it isn't, how you can be <laughs> safe doing it. Um, we're going to cover a lot of topics today. So this should be a fun one. Yeah, let's get kinky. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Uh, can you start off by sharing your pronouns and sexuality? Yeah, I'm Emerson. Pronouns are she, her. And then my sexuality is, I would say like I'm in the LGBTQ community. I just don't know where. I <laughs> feel most comfortable with pansexual, but mm-hmm. um, I'm still like feeling, feeling it out. Nice. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. It's very, very fluid, very open. Yeah. We accept that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So we are definitely going to get into some topics of kink very quickly here. But I think first it would be interesting to talk about, like, tell us about your sex education. Yeah, definitely. My sex education was on a road trip, a seven-hour road trip. My biology teacher in seventh grade basically gave the parents a book and was like, here, teach them over spring break and we were having road trip over spring break and I have a twin brother. So half of the road trip, I had my headphones on so that my mom could teach him. And then the other (laughs) half, he had his headphones on so that she could teach me. And then I just went into biology class and I just had to take this like test. And that was my extent of sex education, like in the academic or, you know, the schooling world. Wow. Yeah. That is definitely the most unique story I think we've heard <laughs> thus far. <laughs> yeah. The teachers were like, we're not doing this. I went to a charter school. So, you know, there was okay. flexibility with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, yep, it's on your own. If they fail this exam, because we just had to like label genitalia basically was the exam. If they fail wow. it, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You'd think that like a charter school would be a little more progressive maybe I don't know but it seems (laughs) it seems like even though it wasn't like religious it was still like shamey and weird and like we're not even going to talk about it yeah my charter school was built out of a church like our gym had a stained glass window in it (laughs) so I it wasn't church affiliated but I think the church was still in it they had their hands in it right (laughs) that's amazing wait so was it's hilarious that you, your mom like switched off giving you the sex education <laughs> instead of like altogether. Was it different? Yeah, I th- they had, a, they had a pamphlet for like the boys and they had a pamphlet for the girls, you know, cause we live in a binary world <laughs> and I think she just didn't want to talk to my brother yet about periods uh-huh. and I don't know if like she wanted to teach us about like boner, me about boners, but <laughs> Um, I grew up in a very like sex positive household and like mm. my brother knew what a tampon was when he was like, you know, 11, 12, whatever. But yeah, that was what like the school was given to us as sex education wise. Right. And part of biology class, that's also kind of interesting. 
Yeah. 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 That's cool that you grew up in a sex positive household. I feel like that's at least got to help a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. My mom is, I would say very progressive when it came to like parenting, even when it came to like drugs and alcohol. When I say drugs, I just mean like marijuana because we lived in Boulder, (laughs) Colorado. Right. So I, my, I started having sex when I was like 16 Mm-hmm. Um, I got in birth control a month before I started having sex and my mom like, you know, was there for the birth control appointment. I got it not because I wanted to have sex, but just for like random health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but she knew like pretty soon after. And I would say like five months after I was started having sex, I got kicked out of my boyfriend's house because his little sister walked in on us. Ooh, and so oops. <laughs> I was really slut shamed by his mom and the whole family. Like I was banned from that house for a really long time. So I had to go wow. home and talk to my mom about it. And that's basically when my mom kind of figured out that I was a little bit more sexually active than like she was assuming. I mean, she saw the condoms. She knew when we were upstairs in my bedroom, what we were doing kind of deal. But yeah, she was very, very helpful for that one scenario when like I felt so like outcasted and slut shamed. Oh, and so she like talked to you through that. Yeah. And she was like, it wasn't your fault. Like, Mm-hmm. I sh- probably shouldn't have been doing that at the time because we didn't we didn't know that the family was home. But you know, she did the like, this is what you did okay in the situation. This is not what you did. But like, none of it was like your fault. Yeah, you're bad for having sex. Yeah, exactly. Wow, totally. What was just curious? What was their the family's reaction to your boyfriend? Like, did he get in trouble at all, or were they just like totally slut shaming you? They were like upset at him, but it wasn't to the extent that Mm. they were upset at me it was like a lot of blame was put on me the dad also like later walked in on him on him sending nudes that was also like a really big deal like why is she making you do it kind of deal so there's a lot of slut shaming from the parents Ah, so you were like the harlot that ruined their innocent (laughs) little son i really was yeah (laughs) (laughs) we also came from very different religious backgrounds i'm jewish um Mm. and to my upbringing with Judaism, Reform Judaism especially, was very sex positive. And he, his parents were like Southern Christians. So very clashing for another religious aspect. (laughs) Okay, interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey into kink? Because, I mean, it sounds like you had a good foundation with learning about sex in a really sex positive way. So when did you start getting into kink? I started getting into kink when I was 19, mm-hmm. fall semester of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So just turned my birthday's in May. So I just turned 19. And I always knew I was interested in kink. Like I have like early memories from when I was like with my, my second boyfriend, like when we were 14 or 15, like talking about like our interests. And um, at the time, like I didn't have the language for it, but we talked a lot about bondage mm. and like blindfolding, which like is under the umbrella of bondage. And we never engaged in any of that, but I just remember talking about it when I was like 14 being like, oh yeah, this is what I'm interested in. Like similarly when I was like 16 and becoming like sexually active with my other boyfriend and we talked about like what kind of porn we watched or like what our interests were. It was still for me like a lot of kink related things. Mm. Again, like we never engaged in any of it. And then when I was 19, like I told the same things to the partners I had and I got into this casual relationship and it was very much like a dominant submissive relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's really when Mm -hmm. I like explored my kink identity. We did a lot of things with bondage and a lot of things with like 
punishment and rewards and it was going great for a while. And then Mm -hmm. I started experiencing like a lot of negative things because we didn't have the communication. I didn't have the communication and the tools because I was 19. We don't learn Mm -hmm. about kink education and sex education and it's not Mm -hmm. super accessible no matter what. And he basically like lists, it was essentially a 24 seven, like dub some relationship. Like I didn't, I couldn't get out of it. I was texting him every day, like every second of every day. And it was within the dynamic, basically. He like put forth these like, essentially like punishments if I didn't do things. And some of the things I wanted, I didn't want to do, like I kind of felt forced to do because I didn't want these punishments. And the punishments were very exposing. So at Mm -hmm. the time I was in a sorority and one of the Mm -hmm. punishments was like, oh, if you don't do it, like we're going to have sex outside of your sorority. Oh my God. There were things like that. (sighs) Like those were some of the punishments. And he actually, the the way we got out of it is he ghosted me completely. Like one day, oh my uh, God. he was supposed to pick me up and he just never did. And I hadn't heard from him for like six, seven months at that point. Uh, he like texted me one day and like after he saw me on campus and was like, hey, i sorry I messed up, whatever. What? Uh, <laughs> whoa. There's, it's like a lot to unpack there. <laughs> a lot to unpack. Basically, that's essentially how I got into that like that was my first dub song dynamic and then at the same time I was getting more into the my human sexuality major and I was placed into a research lab that was focused on kink and BDSM and I was like this is an entire world um I learned all about consent in the realm of of BDSM that was like the research topic Mm -hmm. they focused on who gives the consent and who asks for the consent and so I was doing this research and then I was like okay I need to like unpack everything that just happened in that last relationship I was in. And I, I need to do the education. Like I need to do the work. I need to do the unlearning. And then I need to, to teach my friends because Mm -hmm. one of the things I learned about in this lab was choking um, and how that's a high risk activity. And those were words I never heard, like the words high risk. Mm -hmm. I was thinking back, like every one of my friends that has been sexually active, I know has engaged in choking. And so yeah. I was like thinking about how this, this, that kink, because I always viewed kink as like a different world, you know, mm-hmm. there's vanilla and then there's kink and then they don't overlap. You're either one or the other. And I started noticing mm-hmm. they overlap a lot and the overlapping yes. is there's lacking education when it overlaps because you're either in the kink community and you get access to these amazing resources and mentorships and, you know, you go to munches and things like that, or you're not in the kink community and you don't get access to this education and these resources that like mm-hmm. are not like seemingly there all the time. Mm-hmm. So then I did the research and then I got into other dynamics and did engage in more like kink and fetishism things that, you know, was in a healthy way now. But I basically started my journey when I was 19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That sounds like something really difficult that you went through, but I'm glad that you've like really learned from it and are now actively working to share what you've learned with other people. And I think what you said about there being a lot of overlap between vanilla and the kink community, like it's not a black and white kind of thing is really interesting because the choking thing that you bring up is a perfect example of that. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people that would consider themselves to be extremely vanilla might have tried a little bit of light choking or spanking, I would say maybe. And 
if you don't have the tools to negotiate that kind of thing, that can be, that can be a scary territory to go in. So Mm -hmm. what in particular are the tools that you think are really important for everybody to know, not just the super kinky people? I really, I think the kink community is based on four main things. And I think that those four main things should be in everybody's sexual activity or even their relationship activity. I think there's a lot of tools um, and their negotiation, consent, communication, and aftercare. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, negotiation is pretty straightforward. You know, it's like, this is what I want to happen in this like arrangement. And then the other personal or the other people will be like, this is what I want. And it just is pre-consent almost like, it's like, this is what I'm interested in. What are you interested? Let's figure out together. Um, and I think that can be used in like anything. Like I think mm-hmm. it can be used in vanilla sex. It can be used in kink sex or kink activity. Cause you know, kink doesn't always have to involve sex. Mm-hmm. And then there's consent. And so, you know, in kink, we have the, two, like the three or the two big acronyms, safe, sane, consensual, risk aware, kink, consensual kink, and then prick, which is personally responsible, informed, consensual kink. That one's the newest, um, <laughs> the mouthful. <laughs> But I think that also goes into like those SSC and RAC like set like a background of like, okay, so we have to be aware of what's going on before we go into it. And so these are the ways we can be like safe or risk aware. Mm -hmm. And that's same for vanilla. Like how do we want to practice safer sex? Are you going to engage in condom usage or birth control or IUD? Like what what's the safer way we're going to engage in this activity Mm -hmm. or what's the risks if we don't. And Mm -hmm. then communication is basically safe words from like is safe words is the biggest pillar for communication when it comes to kink. It's like, how am I going to communicate that I want what I want when it comes to the activity? Um, Mm -hmm. And safe words are a really great way to communicate because, you know, we have green with the stoplight system where green is like, this is great. I want to keep on going. Yellow is like, I feel a little iffy. And then rather like a hard stop. And mm-hmm. I think that's such like a great tool for everybody, especially mm-hmm. those who may have experienced traumatic sexual encounters or um, non-consensual encounters, because saying no when your no has never been recepted is mm-hmm. hard. So saying colors is sometimes easier or just random words. You know, sometimes it's easier to say apple than it is to say stop. I don't mm-hmm. know why, mm-hmm. but it just sometimes is. So I think that can be used for anything. It can also be used like in a non-sexual way. I have really bad anxiety. So mm-hmm. when I'm in a public setting and I can't communicate to my partner, like, hey, I want to leave, we have like certain signals or safe words that are like, hey, we don't have like an animal, but we'll be like, hey, like Apple needs like needs to go out kind of deal. Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Or we'll squeeze each other's arms or like hand basically like one squeeze is like I'm fine and like three like big squeezes is like, I'm really anxious. Like we gotta, I need to leave this environment. Mm -hmm. And that's just how we use safe words in inside and outside of kink. And I think that's something that a lot of people can use. And then aftercare too is aftercare is taking care of yourself and your partner after kink, because a lot of things can arise during kink. And I think that that's looked over a lot within vanilla sex is how much cuddling or asking your partner what they felt how important and impactful that can really be. Right. Even in non-sexual activities, like after a fight, you need aftercare after a fight. You just dredged up a lot of emotional things. Like 
can, do we need cuddling right now? Do we need a little bit of space? Do we need a comfort movie? You know, aftercare is a tool that can be used in a lot of senses. Mm-hmm. Oh, a comfort movie. <laughs> I've never thought of that. <laughs> I know you detailed your experience with what sounds like a pretty emotionally abusive relationship. And then coming out of that, learning what you've learned, what are things that you look for like in a potential partner now, in a potential dynamic now, like red flags or green flags even that maybe you could tell other people about? I think anyone would say the largest red flag for like a fake dom or like somebody that isn't like going to be like a caring dominant is if they say they don't believe in aftercare. Mm. Mm. That's a really great question to ask somebody. That's something that like I like to ask, what is your aftercare routine? Like what do you like to do? And if they basically say, oh, I don't believe in aftercare, run in the other direction because aftercare is such (laughs) an essential part of kink Mm -hmm. because it's just such a great way to like decompress and like um, understand, you know, because sometimes kink play can be a little bit more intense than how we would view like vanilla play or vanilla sex. Yeah. Definitely another like red flag would be if like I understand education can like be inaccessible, but if there are just like words or that it, if you feel like they do not understand what's going on, then that's definitely like a red flag. The kink community has its own vernacular and it can definitely take a while to like understand the vernacular and like the certain lingo. But if there isn't an understanding of that lingo, then that's a really great like point to be like, okay, like I think we should talk about like what this, this, and this is like the words impact play for somebody who is not in the kink community that can sound like a lot, but impact play, you know, could just be Mm -hmm. spanking. And it's also helpful to know the lingo to get the education because I can mm-hmm. Google like impact playing it to Reddit threads or, you know, the, en- any other education. So like understanding the lingo helps understanding the education. Yeah. So I think that's a really big sign. If you are messaging somebody online, like you're kind of like setting up the dynamic virtually and they start using pet names or like requesting for you to do honorifics without any sort of like consent communication that's a big red flag because Mm -hmm. honorifics just like anything need that negotiation for FetLife for example which is online like social media like kink community people get a lot of messages like I'm your new daddy like would be like something that would be sent it's like no like you're not like we got to communicate that first (laughs) you're so far away from that yeah why is it always daddies who do that also like why are daddy doms always the ones doing that I don't know or sir they'll like they'll like end their message with sir and it's like no like maybe that's not a word I'm comfortable with it's also like we're two people just meeting each other like (laughs) For the first time, right? Like we, we meet as people first and then we talk about a dynamic maybe, right? We don't, yeah. we're not like in the dynamic from the start because you, you know, fancy yourself a dominant person. Exactly. Yeah. So those are my big like red flags. And then I would say green flags as if like they have a lot of questions to ask and, you know, they want to come to the table metaphorically or physically like with a list of questions mm-hmm. they want to meet in mm-hmm. like a vanilla setting first because chemistry isn't needed, but it can be such like a impactful thing when it comes to the kink dynamic. Yeah. One of my green flags is like having like my partner see me outside of kink because I very much identify within the kink community, but I need to know that like, if I have like a partner I'm engaging in kink in, 
it's not going to be like kink 24 seven. Cause I'm not a 24 seven dynamic. That's just not how I work, but that mm-hmm. like, they can see me as a fully faceted, faceted person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. I get that. Yeah. I think that boundaries can sometimes maybe get a little fuzzy when you're in, you know, 24 seven, you have to be really, really good about communicating your needs and whatnot. So I, I totally see yeah. that. It definitely works for some people. Mm-hmm, for sure. It definitely doesn't work for others. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be said about pretty much any and every kink. So <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's like amazing insight. And I hope it helps people out there who may be interested in getting, getting involved in kink. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about kink in pop culture, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I know there's, you know, especially recently in the last, well, I guess maybe a decade now or so, there's been some pretty popular portrayals. Uh, <laughs> and I want to talk about if they're good, if they're bad, what we should talk about around them. So we, I think we all know how we feel about Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I, Fifty Shades of Grey, I is just so, it's such a bad, <laughs> such, such, <laughs> such a bad portrayal. Like, even in the books, like, the movies in the books, it's just like. It's real bad. <laughs> but it's such a global phenomenon. Yeah. Um, it has made over a billion. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. whole franchise has made over a billion, like, worldwide. So mm-hmm. that g- gives us a gauge of how freaking popular this franchise is. And then afterwards, one of the most harmful things is that all of these sex toys were being packaged like within Fifty Shades. Like there you mm-hmm. could buy like a set, like a Fifty Shades set. And it's like the Kegel Balls was a really big thing in the second movie. So, that, you know, that's mm-hmm. this, like the second movie mm-hmm. set. And like there's like blindfolds and like, you know, cheap metal handcuffs and floggers. Yeah. And it's just like it's it basically like branded like these kink toys as like oh yeah you watch the movie here you go which is like not it (laughs) right especially since i would assume you like we mentioned you'd probably need some education to use some of those toys correctly yes yeah not the education from the movie (laughs) what education there was no education in that movie anyway literally no education there was like a lot of like lack of consent consent violations yeah there was a whole narrative that Mr. Christian Gray had to be traumatized to be into kink. That right. was like his whole, I, that was the only thing he talked about was oh, I'm different. Like I have trauma. So like, that's why I like kink. And it's like, that yeah. is such a negative stereotype that is so heavily perpetrated yeah. against the kink community because you do not have to have trauma to engage in kink and mm-hmm. kink can be very trauma informed. Definitely. But it's not like, oh, I've experienced trauma. Like I'm, I have a kink now. That's like basically how they portrayed it. And that's so incorrect. Yeah. Um, I don't think I got that far in the books. <laughs> it was literally like everything he ever did was like when he wasn't beating up what's her face, Anastasia, he was like playing his piano sadly and being like, I'm so hurt. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bad home life. Like he had a negative dynamic when he was, you know, cause a older woman like basically like groomed him essentially. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Like, now I did read that. I remember right now. Traumatized, which is a legit reason to be traumatized. Yeah. But it's not the trauma is not the only thing that like makes kink a yeah. reason. Yeah. It's not like a one-to-one. Like, I have experienced a trauma, and now I must engage in odd sex behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there also, like, 
basically after they get married, he doesn't want to treat her as his slave anymore. Yes. <laughs> this is the, the big dynamic I remember was like, we're getting married. Oh, you're not my submissive anymore. I was like, wait, what? I have a theory about Fifty Shades of Grey that the actual reason it is porn is because it's basically a woman meeting this messed up man and then changing him and convincing him that he just wants to be a good married man. Ooh. <laughs> yes, the porn is like psychological. Yeah. Yeah, and she's <laughs> she's pure. She's innocent. That's like a really big thing is, you know, mm-hmm. Christian Grey was her first everything. Um, you know, so she's this pure, innocent woman that just like has the best heart that just wants to fix this traumatized man mm-hmm. and will right. do that by engaging in like what he wants and there's absolutely no aftercare like one of the worst parts of the freaking movies and the books is that like she has to sleep in another room like they do yeah. this really intense things in the bedroom in the dungeon not <laughs> not the bedroom but the dungeon or the red room it's called the red room isn't it yeah i don't know everything's red <laughs> in the room yeah. so it's called the red room <laughs> It's creative genius. <laughs> they they engage in like impact play and like bondage and all these like high risk and high intense activities within the red room. And then he's like, okay, you go to your quarters and then I'm going to go sleep in my bed, but you can't, I'm not going to sleep. Like I'm not going to cuddle with you. Like no aftercare is ever shown. Yeah. He like really isolates her too. Like yeah. he makes her move in. He like, I remember there's a scene where he like sells his, her car out from under her and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I just got you a better car. It's like, he makes her quit her job. Yeah. 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 He, like, keeps showing up in places after she's told him not to. There's, like, a, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's got the Twilight Oh, yeah. Because it is based on Twilight, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Basically, if you are interested in kink, please do not use Fifty Shades of Grey as a primer for anything, really. Not to um, shame anybody who has enjoyed it. I think uh, the point is just, like... Don't base your experiences off of that and go find some good resources. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Are there examples of other, not necessarily educational materials, but maybe entertainment materials that are kink focused that are maybe good or better? People will argue that the movie Secretary is relatively good. Mm. Other people argue it's not. I think there's more positive portrayals, but definitely like still has negative like aspects of it i think one thing with movies is that it normalizes which is great like you know we love seeing Mm -hmm. like kink as like a visible thing not just like something done like underground you know how it's sometimes portrayed Mm -hmm. but i think the normalization is like double bladed knife you know like because it's great that it's visible but then another thing is like because it's so visible a lot of people are like yep i can do this like i got this idea so we're gonna do it right now i think there's a general understanding that like porn isn't real life but you know still we there's still that like idea that like female identifying like porn stars should be very, very vocal. And that's how like everybody yeah. should be mm-hmm. in the bedroom, you know? So I think we should like give some flexibility, but also like the normalization is what can cause a lot of help or hurt. That's true. Yeah. There's still responsibility there for people to do research and portray it, you know, the most accurate way that they can while being true mm-hmm. to their story, which segues me into another piece of media that I've been enjoying watching lately, which is the show Bonding on Netflix. I know that there was some controversy about the first season being not so great, but the second season consensus seems to be it's a little better portrayal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still lots of not so great things in the second season, Mm. but the best thing about Bonding is that 
they listened. They shut, they shut up and listened. They they heard what the King Committee was saying after the first season, and they really tried very hard to like take that into account. The first or second episode of the second season that like they basically address like all the consent violations that yeah. the main female protagonist did. Then there was a line that basically was like, "You can do a lot in this industry as like a pretty white girl um, who knows how right. to like handle a vlogger, but you're not going to make it." far because the community like will hold you accountable which is what the head like dominatrix at the dungeon like basically did and I really like the portrayal of a class because I think that people not within the kink community don't think like classes or workshops are a thing but like that is one of the largest ways that education is like given is a lot of kink educators do workshops and classes Mm -hmm. and I liked in bonding how like they showed aspects of like a class, you know, how do you use a flogger? Like, you know, what's the purpose of pet play was like one of the first things that they learned in the class. Yeah. What I liked about that was that they showed. So like a requirement to join the class was that you needed to know how to do a single column tie, which is a type of tie that usually people do on the wrist or the ankle. They showed, you know, Master Carter, the character, not really into it, not really caring, not able to do one. And they they sort of portrayed that as like very irresponsible. And, you know, if you can't even do this sort of basic thing, then you don't get the responsibility of doing more. So I really liked that portrayal as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought the class was like a joke and you kind of see like spoiler in like yeah. the later episodes that he's not basically allowed in the class. You know, he somehow like doesn't get information about the class. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's like, you know, they were holding him accountable. Like he wasn't being serious. So like he shouldn't be able to do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. That's a really interesting point. I feel like I didn't know that classes for that kind of stuff was a thing until like I was much older. I think the mm-hmm. first thing I ever heard about kink was probably from a Cosmo magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. Well, what was it? Oh, you don't remember? I don't remember, but like I must have known something about that from somewhere because I brought it up to my first boyfriend that I had ever slept with mm-hmm. a couple of years into our relationship. I was like, hey, I'm interested in doing this. I don't know. I didn't have a strong preference about being tied up or tying tying him up, but he told me that he wasn't really interested in it, but he would be willing to do it if I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> so <laughs> he was like, that Wait, could be your reward for losing your in chubbiness. What world? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Well, we never did it and we also broke up. Okay. So it's okay. Yeah. He didn't deserve it. Okay. No. We'll make that very clear. Um, yeah. Well, I did end up getting to do it in my next relationship and Okay, this must have been from a Cosmo article. I remember it was like aimed at like Valentine's Day and it was like (laughs) one treat you can have, like something fun you can do is like tie your partner up and just like tease them and like leave the room for like a while and make them wait for you. (laughs) So I did that. I like tied him up and blindfolded him and then just like went and got ready for like half an hour. in the bathroom he liked it so it was okay but i didn't know what i was doing and like looking back on that now i feel like having a class to learn about how to do that not only like safely but also respectfully of everyone Mm -hmm. probably could have been good yeah (laughs) yeah 
for people who might be listening who are maybe interested in getting involved in kink or even people who have been involved in kink for a while, what resources would you recommend to them for them to get an education? I know you mentioned that you were part of a lab that was like researching BDSM. And unfortunately, most (laughs) of us don't have access to something like that. (laughs) So what resources are out there for us normies who aren't studying human sexuality? I think any, I think most people in the kink community are going to recommend the top two books, which are the new topping book and the new bottoming book by Dossie. Dossie Easton. Dossie Easton. Yes. Who also wrote Ethical Slut, which is a great book for, you know, I think yes. I could say this for polyamory beginners, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really accessible, like super quick read. Like it's not mm-hmm. like a thousand pages. It's pretty like discreet. Like I could, I don't, I mean, I live in the Midwest, but if I were to go on a subway, like it's not like Fifty Shades, you know, like people aren't going to understand <laughs> like what it is if I read it out in right. public, unless it's somebody else in the kink community, but then there shouldn't be any judgment. <laughs> There you go. Unless it's like an anti-kink activist. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Be careful. Watch out for those. (laughs) But those two books are really good and they have resource guides in them, which is like phenomenal. Mm. I think that's like a third of the reason why you should buy them is because of the resource guide in the back. Awesome. I also really like Ask a Sub. It's a meme account on Instagram and they have a Patreon Mm. which with some amazing like writings um, and they have a discord group um, and you can be completely anonymous and that's a really great way to like virtually meet people from the king community and that's cool the discord has like different threads i don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the right word for discord but you know there's Mm -hmm. threads like for specific like if you want to learn more about being a sub or you are a sub and you want to talk to other subs or brats or you know however you identify (laughs) and that's really help that's really helpful especially like with covid because non-covid um, the King community has things called like munches, which are just like, you know, meetups, they're vanilla meetups and like vanilla settings, so, like a coffee shop. And you just like, you know, talk to people in the King community and you can ask them King questions. Mm-hmm. Some people like to get mentors, like if they want to be like a really great person with like rope bondage, so like a rigor, they would get like a mentor to like really learn how to do rope bondage. So, like that's a really great way. Um, I know that's not the most accessible way because some people, like I live in the middle of Kansas, like I can definitely find those types of people, but it's not going to be as easy as like San Francisco or New York. Mm -hmm. So munches are a possibility. Yeah. I feel like a hog tie in Kansas is like actually tying up a pig. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the extent of their knowledge, which might be useful as long as it's, you know, safe. But uh, anyway. (laughs) I really like what's the safe word on YouTube W-A-T-T-S instead of like W-H-A-T. Um, and then Evie Loop, I can never say her last name, but Lupatine also has a lot of YouTube videos that are like really amazing for kink education. Nice. We will definitely link all of those resources that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I think we could wrap up now. Uh, it would be great, Emerson, if you could share a little bit about what you do on your Instagram and through your newsletter for the Kink Educator. Like, what will people get from following you and looking at your content? Yeah, I run the Instagram, the Kink Educator. My main goal was to make really like bite-sized, accessible graphics on kink education. I kind of like treat my page as like almost like a kink education like library like if you want to know what like edge play is or edging versus um edge play is like i have those one 
slide two slide graphics, that's like, okay, like mm-hmm. this is the information I have or like what's aftercare. That's the page. I also really wanted to make it like very fun. The kink community from my, from when I started getting the kink education, it felt very daunting looking at all of these websites that were like black and red and like leather. And I was like, ah, like that's a lot. (laughs) And it didn't feel like super welcoming because a fully black website, like it feels almost dirty. And I don't want anyone accessing kink education to ever, ever feel dirty because, you know, color theory is like such a big thing. Pornhub like is a very dark, Mm -hmm. they want it to hide because when you have a black screen, it's harder to see what's on it versus if it's like has a white background. I really wanted to make mine like really fun and accessible and like welcoming. And so that's why there's like a lot of pastel colors on it and lots of mm-hmm. bite-sized information. I also try my absolute hardest to message everyone back if they have questions. It might take me like a week or two, but like my DMs are always open. My newsletter, a monthly, something that like shares resources, maybe a little piece of writing I've done. You can sign up on the bio. That's basically my newsletter that will help you build on the kink education you have or help you build like from like a, like from no starting point, essentially. Awesome. Nice. I love the idea about bringing things to light, right? Like there's no need to feel shamed about being kinky, especially if you're trying to better yourself and get education. So mm-hmm. I, I love that notion. Yeah. Plus making it bite-sized, like... I mean, if you think about it, what I like, you know, I learned about a little bit of kink from a magazine that's like a bite sized version, but yours is mm-hmm. even better because it's actually super <laughs> informed and useful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emerson. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having yes. me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, As always, please go rate us uh, on the Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to helping us find new listeners. Yeah, and you can also check us out on Spotify. We're on our website at Mm -hmm. sexedpodcast.com. We've got a ton of kink content for you all this month on our Instagram. And in a couple other episodes, we'll be talking about the history of BDSM and then also talking to our friend Tito, who was actually on last season as well. She talked about being a big old lesbian. So now she's (laughs) talking about being a big old kinkster. Um, So super excited for that. Also, please sign up for our newsletter. There will definitely be resources included for kink-related things, as well as a book list if you're interested in getting involved in the kink scene. So you can check that out at sexedpodcast.substack.com or you can find a link from our website. Cool. Yeah. Also, thanks, Kent, for mastering our sound. Yes, Kent. Thank you. You're the master to our <laughs> podcast. Sound? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was not going to work. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Love you guys. Bye. Is it James Spader? It is James Spader. I wanted to say David Spade, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> you had the spade right. <laughs>